Chapter 111. At quarter past eleven on that momentous night, the storm breathed its last gasp. A tremendous, cold gust of wind swept down on the castle. It ran in excess of a hundred miles an hour. It tore the thinning clouds overhead apart like the swipe of a great hand. Cold, watery moonlight shone through. In the third eastern alley was a squat stone tower called the Church of the Great Gods. As it stood there since time out of mind, many people worshipped there, but it was empty now, and a good thing. The tower was not very tall, nowhere near the height of the needle, but it nevertheless stood high above the neighboring buildings in the third eastern alley, and was all day long it had been punished by the unbroken force of the storm wind. This final gust was too much for it. The top 30 feet all stone simply blew off as hay might fly off a scarecrow in a high gale. Part landed in the alley, part hit the neighboring buildings. There was a tremendous crash, and most of the populace of the castle keep, wearied by the excitement of the storm and already sleeping deeply, took no mind of the fall of the church of the great gods, although they would wonder greatly over the snow-covered wreckage in the morning. Most simply muttered, turned over, and went back to sleep. Some guards of the watch, those not too drunk to care, heard it, of course, and ran to see what had happened. Others, then by these few, the fall of the, tiger, of the tower went mostly unremarked when it happened, but there were a few others who heard it. By now, you know them all. Ben, Dennis, and Naomi, who were getting ready for their attempt to rescue the rightful king, heard it, in the napkin storeroom and looked around at each other with wide eyes. Never mind, Ben said after a moment. I don't know what it was, but it doesn't matter. Let's get on with it. Beeson and the lesser wardens, all of them drunk, didn't hear the church of the great gods fall down. But Peter did. He was sitting on the floor of his bedroom, carefully pulling his woven rope through his fingers, looking anxiously for weak points. He raised his head to the at the snow-muted thunder of falling sound, stones, and went rapidly to the window. He could see nothing, whatever, had fallen on the needle's far side. After several considering moments, he went back to his rope. Midnight was close now. He had come to much of the same conclusion as his friend Ben. It didn't matter. The dice had been thrown, and now he must go on. Deep in the darkness of the secret passage, Thomas heard the muffled thunder thud of the falling tower and he woke up. He heard, heard the muffled barking of dogs below and realized in horror where he was. And one other who had been sleeping lightly and dreaming troubled dreams awoke at the fall of the tower. He woke even though he was in the deep of the bowels of the castle. Disaster! screamed one of the heads of the parrot. Fire! Flood! Escape! the other screamed. Flag was awakened. I have told you that evil is sometimes strangely blind. So it is. Sometimes evil is so lulled with no reason and sleeps. But now, Flag had awakened. Chapter 112 Flag had come back from his trip into the north with a bit of a fever, a heavy cold, and a troubled mind. Something wrong. Something wrong. The very stones of the castle seemed to whisper it to him. But Flag was darned if he knew what it was. All he knew for sure was that unknown something wrong had sharp teeth. It felt like a ferret running around in his brain, taking a bite here, taking a bite there. 
He knew exactly when that animal had begun to run and gnaw while he was coming back from his fruitless expedition in search of rebels because, because the rebels should have been there. They hadn't been. Flag hated to be fooled. Worse, he hated the feeling that he might have made a mistake. If he had made a mistake about where the rebels were to be found, then perhaps he had made mistakes about other things. But what other things? He didn't know. But his dreams were bad. That small, bad-tempered animal ran around in his head, worrying him, insisting that he had forgotten things, that other things were going on behind his back. It raced, it gnawed, and it ruined his sleep. Flag had medicines that would rid him of his cold, but none that would touch that growing ferret in his brain. What could possibly be wrong? He asked himself this question over and over again, and in truth it seemed, on the surface at least, that nothing could be wrong. For many centuries, the old dark chaos inside him had hated the love and light and order of Delane. He had worked hard to destroy all that, to knock it down, as that last cold gust of storm had knocked down the church of the great gods. Always something had interfered with his plans. A Kayla the Good, a Sasha, someone, something. But now he saw no possible interference. No matter where he looked, Thomas was totally his creature. If Flag could told him to step off the highest parapet of the castle, the fool would want to know only which o'clock he should do it. The farmers were groaning under the weight of the killing taxes Flag had persuaded Thomas to impose. Yosef had told Peter there was a breaking strain on people, as well as ropes and chains. And so there is. The farmers and the merchants of Delane had nearly reached theirs. The rope by which the great block of taxes are attached to any citizenry is simply loyalty. Loyalty to king, to country, to government. Flag knew that all that if he made the tax blocks big enough, all the ropes would snap and the stupid oxen, for that was really how he saw the people of Delane, would stampede, knocking down everything in their path. The first of the oxen had already broken free and had gathered in the north. They called themselves exiles now. The flag knew they would call themselves rebels soon enough. Pena had been driven away and Peter was locked in the needle. So what could go wrong? Nothing! Nothing could go wrong! But that ferret ran and squirmed and gnawed and twisted. Many times over the last three or four weeks, he had awakened in a cold sweat, not because of his recurring fever, but because he had some horrible dream. What was the substance of this dream? He could never remember. He only knew that he woke from it with his left hand pressed to his left eye, as if he had been wounded there, and that eye would burn, although he could find nothing wrong with it. Chapter 113 On this night, Flag awoke with his dream fresh in his mind. Because he had wakened before it was over, it was, of course, the fall of the Church of the Great Gods, which woke him. Ha! Flag cried, sitting bolt upright in his chair. His eyes were wide and staring, his white cheeks damp and shiny with sweat. Disaster! One of the parrot's heads screamed. Fire! Flood! Escape! The other screamed. Escape, Flag thought. Yes, that's what's been on my mind all the time. That's what's been gnawing at me. He looked down at his hands, and he saw that they were trembling. This infuriated him. He sprang out of his chair. 
He means to escape, he muttered, running his hands through his hair. He means to try, anyway. But how? How? What's his plan? Who helped him? Well, they'll pay with their heads, I promise that. And they won't come off in the chopping block. Nope, they'll come off an inch, a half an inch, a quarter of an inch at a time. They'll be driven insane with the agony long before they die. Insane, one of the parrot heads shrieked. Agony, the other shrieked back. Will you shut up and let me think? Flag howled and he seized a jar filled with murky brown fluid from a nearby table, threw it at the parrot's cage. It struck and shattered and there was a flash of bright, heatless light. The parrot's two heads squawked in terror. It fell off its perch, lay stunned at the bottom of its cage until morning. Flag began to pace rapidly back and forth. His teeth were bared. His hands worked together restlessly. The fingers of one warring with the fingers of the other. His boots struck up greenish sparks on the, of the nitre cake stones from his laboratory floor. These sparks smelled like summer lightning. How? When? Who? Helped? He could not remember. Already the dream was fading. But I have to know, he whispered. Have to know. Because it would be soon. He sensed that much would be very, very soon. He found his key ring and he opened the bottom drawer of his desk, took out a box made of finely carved ironwood, opened it, and drew out a leather bag. He opened the bag's drawstring top and carefully took out a chunk of rock that seemed to glow with its own inner light. This rock was as milky as an old man's blind eye. It looked like a piece of soapstone, but was in fact a crystal, Flag's magic crystal. He circled his room, turning down the lamps and capping the candles. Soon his apartment was in absolute darkness. Dark or not, Flag returned to his desk with quick confidence, passing easily around ob objects that you or I might have barked our shins on or fallen over. The dark is nothing to the king's magician. He liked the dark. He could see in it like a cat. He sat down and touched the stone. He slipped his palms around it feeling its ragged edges and angles. Show me, he murmured. This is my command. At first, nothing. Then, little by little, the crystal began to glow from within. It was only a tiny light at first. Diffused and pallid, Flag touched the crystal again. This time, with the tips of his fingers, it had grown warm. Show me, Peter. This is my command. Show me the whelp that dares put himself in my way and show me what he plans to do. The light grew brighter, brighter, brighter. Eyes glittered, cruel thin lips parted to show his teeth. Flag bent over his crystal. Now Peter, Ben, Dennis, and Naomi would have recognized their dream. and They would have recognized the glow which lit the magician's face, the glow which was not a candle. The crystal milky cast suddenly disappeared drawing into the brightening glow now flag could see into its heart his eyes widened then narrowed in bewilderment it was sasha very pregnant sitting at a little boy's bed the little boy was holding a slate on it were written two words god and dog impatiently flag passed his hand over the crystal which now gave off waves of heat Show me what I need to know. That is my command. The crystal cleared again. It was Peter. 
playing with his dead mother's dollhouse, pretending the house and the family inside were being attacked by Indians or dragons or some foolish thing. The old king stood in the corner watching his son, wanting to join in. Bah! Flag cried, waving his hand over the crystal again. Why do you show me these old meaningless stories? I need to know how he plans to escape and when. Now show me. This is my command. The crystal had grown hotter and hotter. And if he did not allow it to go dark soon, it would split apart forever. Flag knew, and the magic crystals are not easy to come by. It had taken 30 years of searching to find this one but he would see it broken into a billion pieces before he gave up. This is my command, he repeated again. And for the third time, the milkiness of the crystal drew inward. Flag bent over it until it, its heat made his eyes water and gush tears. He slitted them, and then, in spite of the heat, they flew open wide in a shock of fury. It was Peter. Peter was slowly descending the side of the needle, Surely this was some treacherous magic, because although he was making hand-over-hand -hand motions, there was no rope to be seen. Or was there? Flag waved a hand in front of his face, dissipating the heat for a moment. A rope? Not exactly, but there was something. Something as gossamer as a strand of spiderweb. And yet it bore his weight. Peter, Flag breathed, and at the sound of his voice, tiny figure looked around. Flag blew on the crystal and its bright, wavering heat went out. He saw its afterglow in front of his eyes and he sat in the dark. Peter escaping. When? It had been night in the crystal and Flag had seen errant, gritty sheaves of snow blowing past the tiny figure working its way down the rounded wall. Was it to be later tonight? Tomorrow night? Sometime next week? Or... Flag pushed back from his desk. He stood in a lurch, his eyes filled with fire as he looked around in the dark, stinking basement rooms. Or had it happened already? Enough, he breathed. By all the gods that ever were and ever will be, this is enough. He strode across the darkened room and seized a huge weapon that hung from the wall. It was clumsy, but he held it with ease and familiarity. Familiar with it? Yes, of course he was. He had swung it many times when he had lived here and done business as Bill Hinch, the most feared executioner Delane had ever known. This terrible blade had bitten through hundreds of necks. Above the blades, which were twice forged Audian steel, was Flagg's own modification, a spiked iron ball. Each spike had been, spike had been tipped with poison. Enough! Flag screamed again in a fury of rage and frustration and fear. The two-headed parrot, even in the depths of its unconsciousness, moaned at that sound. Flag pulled his cloak from the hook by the door, swept it over his shoulders, and fastened the clasp. A hammered silver scabbard beetle, beetle at his throat. It was enough. This time's his plans would not be thwarted, certainly not by one hateful boy. Rowland was dead, Pena unbenched, the nobles driven into exile. There was no one to raise an outcry over one dead prince, especially one who had murdered his own father. If you had not escaped, my fine prince, you never will. And something tells me you're still in the coop. 
part of you will leave tonight. I promise you that. That part I intend to carry out by the hair. As he strode down the corridor toward the dungeon gate, Flag began to laugh, a sound which would have given a stone statue bad dreams. Chapter 114 Flag's intuition was right. Peter had finished going over his rope of twisted linen fibers, but he was still in the tower room awaiting the crier's announcement of midnight when Flag burst out of the dungeon gate and began to cross the plaza of the needle. The church of the great gods had fallen at quarter past eleven. It was quarter of twelve when the crystal showed Flag what he wanted to know, and perhaps you'll agree with my idea that it tried to show him the truth in two other ways at first. When Flag started across the plaza, it was still lacking ten minutes of midnight. The dungeon gate was on the northeast side of the needle, and the southwest side was a little castle entrance known as the Peddler's Gate. A straight diagonal line could have been drawn between the dungeon gate and the peddler's gate. At the exact midpoint of that line was the needle itself, of course. At almost the same time that Flag came out of the dungeon gate, Ben, Naomi, Dennis, and Frisky came out of the peddler's gate. They approached each other without knowing it. The needle was between them, but the wind had dropped. Penn's party should have heard the clang the clang rasp of Flag's boot heels against the cobbles. Flag should have heard the first squeak of an ungreased wheel. But all of them, including Frisky, who was back at her old job of pulling again, were lost in their own thoughts. Ben and his party reached the needle first. Now, Ben began at that moment, from the other side, less than 40 paces around the outer perimeter from where they stood, Flag began to hammer on the triple-bolted warder's door. Open, Flag stream. Open in the name of the king. What? Dennis began, and then Naomi clamped her a hand over like steel over his mouth and looked at Ben with frightened eyes. Chapter 115. The voice came spiraling up to Peter on the cold post-storm air. It was faint, that voice, but perfectly clear. Open in the name of the king. Open in the name of what, you mean, Peter thought? good brave boy had become a good brave man but when he heard that hoarse voice and remembered the narrow white face and those reddish eyes always shadowed by the hood of his robe peter's bones turned to ice and his stomach to fire his mouth went dry as a wood chip and his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth his hair stood on end if someone had ever told you that being good and being brave means you will never be afraid what that someone should have told you is that is not so at that moment peter had never been so afraid in his whole life it's flag and he's come for me peter got up and for a moment he thought he was going to simply fall over on his legs as they buckled under him doom was down there hammering at the warder's door to let be let in open up on your feet you lycy drunken buggers beason you son of a sot don't hurry peter told himself if you hurry, you'll make a mistake and do his work for him. No, one, no one's come to let him in yet. Beeson's drunk. He was tiddly at supper and probably paralyzed by the time he got to bed. Flag hasn't a key or he wouldn't be wasting his time knocking. So, one step at a time, just as you planned it. He's got to get in and then climb all those stairs. Three hundred of them. You may beat him yet. He went into his bedroom, pulled out the 
rough iron cotter pins that held the crude bed frame together. The bed collapsed. Peter grasped one of the iron sidebars, carried it back to the sitting room. He had measured this bar carefully and knew it was wider than his window. And while its outer surface was rusted, he thought it was strong yet through the middle. It had better be, he thought. It would be a bitter joke indeed if my rope held, but my anchor broke. He looked out briefly and could see no one, but he had observed three figures crossing the plaza toward the needle shortly before Flagg's wild pounding had begun. Dennis had recruited friends then. Had one of them been Ben? Peter hoped so, but he did not dare to really believe it. Who was the third, and why the wagon? There were questions he had no time for now. Oh, you dogs, open this door. Open in the name of the king. Open in the name of Flag. Open the door. Open! In the stillness of the almost midnight, Peter heard the rattling thud of the wrist-thick iron bolts far below being drawn back. He supposed the door opened now, but he didn't hear that. Silence, and then a gurgling, choked scream. <laughs>